Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. In a few hours' time, this woman will add her name or her name will be added to a list that includes such luminaries as John F. Kennedy, Mary Robinson, Mary McAleese, Michael D. Higgins, Jack Lynch, Albert Reynolds, John Major, Peter Barry, Tip O'Neill, George Mitchell, Ronan O'Gara, Roy Keane, Sonia O'Sullivan... Sean Ogo Halpine, Michael Flatley, Chan Moya, Billa, and A.D. Roach. And down at the bottom of that list this afternoon will go the name of Mary Crilly. How are you, my friend? Are you nervous? I'm, I, I'm nervous I didn't sleep a wink. I'm like a child going to school for the first day, like I'm, you know, anxious about it and excited about it and still a feeling of disbelief about it. You know, saying to myself, this is really happening. Um, it just seems so unreal and I'm so proud and I'm so proud to be living in Cork and I was just thinking last night, I'm so proud of the road or the path that my life took that, as you know from interviewing me, I never would have envisaged that this would be yeah. how my life would be in the past 40 years, but I'm so proud um, of how things turned out and where we're going in Cork especially. It, it was a, an interesting life, and maybe we talk a little bit about it this morning, Mary, because this you, you went to a meeting after a troublesome time in your life. You went to a meeting, and it all started from there. Why don't you tell the, tell the story for people who might know it? Well, I think um, I'm originally from Dublin. I moved to Cork in 1977. You know, as I'd say, I was born in Dublin, but I am a, a, a true Cork woman as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it's like the two Norris would say, by the grace of God, I ended up in Cork. And that's honestly how I feel. I don't think all the stuff I went through in my life, I could have done so well if if I wasn't in Cork. Cork supported me, you know, all through it. In, in 1983, I was living in housing estate in Greenhouse Court, and there was a neighbour who told me that she was part of a group that was thinking about setting up a rape crisis centre. And when I come to a meeting, and I did come, and they were like lo- lovely women, and they kind of worked out what they needed and what they wanted. I really couldn't follow where they were going or what they needed, and often wondered what benefit or what use would I be there. But I kind of stuck it out. I think I stuck it out for a couple of reasons. One, because as you know, I'd been abused myself, and you're the first person who I ever. Told on radio, um, on, on, on I think just last year. So there could have been part of me kind of saying maybe I'll get help here. And I think there could have been a part of isolation and maybe I'll meet other people here. You know, sometimes I think when we join something or when I join something, I'm not always. I wasn't always thinking upfront about my reason for joining it. But that, that's how it happened. And I would give myself maybe six months because you know I was into babysitters and you know neighbours kind of helped me out. Um, 
But that's how it happened. Time just went by. We went from working with volunteers to kind of see schemes to, you know, taking on people. It just just flew. And, and before I knew where I was, I was the only one mm. kind of left of the original group within within a couple of years. The person who reached out to you at that time to go to that meeting, that was that was a moment of vision on their part, wasn't it? I think it was because I think she kind of thought that the people that were there were amazing, but maybe let's spread it out. Let's get other people who weren't involved in, you know, in college or academics or solicitors who were the amazing women who needed to get the whole thing started. But I think that was her thoughts. Maybe we need to diverse a bit and get cross-sectional people involved. Yeah. And at a time when the centre was set up first or this, the beginnings of the centre, it was a lot less acceptable than it is now to talk about these things. It wasn't talked about at all. Yeah. It really wasn't talked about. You wouldn't even get an ad in the paper. And, you know, for the first nine months, we had a room or had a filing cabinet, as I say, in the key co-op, which had been set up as a vegetarian um, restaurant, vegetarian whole food shop and they had a room upstairs and we had a filing cabinet in there and that's where the phone was and that's where the centre was but even within the first nine months um, we and the co-op were raided by the special branch I mean I ask you all the, the key co-op we had was bags of lentils down the basement and a few books around the place yeah. and they weren't a threat to anybody, neither were we but we were seen as a threat you know, we really were because we were seen as quite radical. And I think for we only stayed there nine months because we re- really knew at that stage it wasn't appropriate for people who needed support to come in there because it was too hard to walk in there in the first place. So then we moved to McCurtain Street and we were in McCurtain Street for a good 14, 15 years till we moved to where we are now in Camden Place. And when we found that building, it was derelict. But um, I really thought it would give us more of a voice. It would give us more awareness, more vision. Uh, people might see us more. Uh, we could really talk about what was going on in the city. But to be honest, we wouldn't have got where we have without the people of Cork. Like, we didn't get any funding for the building then, mm. um, even even back then. But the people in Cork just kind of helped us out, got the building ready, sought us, um, helped us with whatever we needed. So I often find the building in Camel Place, as far as I'm concerned, it does belong to the board, but it belongs to the people and people of Cork. And it's been a great building for us because we've had events in it, we've had functions, we've had schools in it. It's really open for anybody to come in and, you know, hold different meetings and different, um, different events with us. And you talk about times changing. Yeah, we didn't talk about these things in, in 1982, but even 15 years ago, it was a very public place to put a centre like this. And I remember at the time, Mary, even people said to you, God, that's very upfront. He did. I mean, there was a huge discussion about was I doing wrong by victims or survivors making it so visible for them to come in. And then, you know, you're torn between do you make it easy for people to come in and get support or get help or do you kind of make them walk up and down the street and see which floor are people on and go in hidden as if there is still about shame. So I was caught between the two of them. So I know when we built a porch in the building and I said to a number of people who had concerns initially, go across the river and I'll have two or three people walk in different buildings and let me know which one they walked in and people didn't they didn't realise which one you walked in there was doctors there just solicitors there just dentists there so um, all that was blown to touch and people love it now because if they're coming from East Cork North Cork or West Cork they can find a place so easily 
you know, and schools have come in and different people have come in. But that was that was a concern back then. Was I doing wrong by people who really need needed the support? But um, it's worked out really well. And I think changing the name then really helped us because I was coming across people who were saying, I didn't know my brother could come in. Or the usual would be, it wasn't a real rape. It was somebody who I knew who raped me. Um, so it wasn't a real rape. So I can't come into the rape crisis centre. And then, of course, we came across people who had been trafficked. And that's more sexual violence, um, you know, and spiking and stalking and other forms of sexual violence. So changing the name, even at the time, I was kind of worried about it. But I was feeling, was I letting down the original people who set up a rape crisis centre? But I think it was the best move we made because it made the centre so inclusive. Mm. But you live and learn as you go along. It wasn't like we sat down and planned. It was just kind of as we went along, we're just looking at who's coming in. And um, up to last week, I looked up the figures and over 10,000 people have used the service up to now. 10,000. Many of them men. Many of them people. Oh, many of them men, yeah. yeah. Many of them people. And teenagers. Teenagers. Like, has the profile, Mary, changed of who goes in now? And who sits down and says, I need help? I think it's changed a bit. I think there's a lot, a lot of younger people coming in who I hate seeing coming in. There's a lot of 14, 15, 16 year olds. And I find that heartbreaking, you know, to think, is anybody listening 40 years on that these children are still being abused or still mm. being raped or still, you know, going across some kind of abuse by their peers or by their family members and stuff. But my God, they have the courage to come in because I think when people do knock on that door, it's, it's kind of saying, um, I have a bit of hope that my days might be better if I come in here. And that's really all they're looking for. You'd have older men coming in who mightn't have come before, who maybe during COVID found life very difficult because they weren't working or they weren't as busy as they used to be. And they might have been abused as children and it kind of came up and hit them in the face. And they don't feel ashamed anymore about coming in. They might feel ashamed about what happened to them, but there isn't really the same shame about having to come in and look for help or look for support. Mm. You know, so that's definitely changing. And the older women coming in rather than the, you know, what people might think is just the age group of 19 to 25 young girls who they think are the only ones who really get raped because they're getting drunk and they're not remember whether they consented or not, which is which isn't true. But that's often the image people have about a rape crisis centre. Yeah, yeah. Myth busting, you know, breaking up, busting the common myths about rape and sexual assault is something that you've You've often done, you've always done, in fact. And, you know, so many cases never see their way into court. And and one of the things was that people said, well, it's never going to go to court. I'm never going to be able to... Like, they, thought, they, they used to think, well, I, no one's going to help me. I can't go to court. You'll help someone whether they're going to court or not. I mean, I think the majority we see don't go to court. The majority yes. we see don't report. But I mean, I would ask people at this stage if they're considering reporting, talk to the protective services unit in Angusy Street. There's a great gang over there. There's about twenty of them working in that unit, and they're quite prepared to speak to anybody without, you know, getting to sign a statement. Just going through what might happen or what they could do and how they could work with them or support them. Because the protective services unit often meet people and then ring us and say, "Look, this person isn't ready um, to make a statement yet, but maybe you could." help her or him out so I would encourage people if they're unsure just to talk to the protective service unit just to see what they need to do um, or talk to us or talk to anybody and talk to their families because as I've said um, a lot of times 
Families matter so much. I mean, there's people listening who might think there's not a lot, not a lot they can do, but there is. I mean, we're just the backup. We're just people who can help out at certain times in somebody's life, but you're the ones who really matter. You're the ones, the fathers, especially who I find young girls want to talk to um, because they love them, but they're afraid in case they might, the father might look at them differently if they say they're raped or abused. Mm. Um, and these fathers, I know, would hate to know 10 years later that the little girl who they're mad about had something horrific done to her and was afraid to tell him. So I think if we all keep the conversation going, we can definitely change it. Like, we wouldn't be speaking like this 10 years ago. Um, I certainly wouldn't be in this unreal situation of going into City Hall later on and um, being given the freedom of the city. That feels just so strange. But isn't it amazing? Because this is for all survivors. And the support I'm getting um, from survivors kind of contacting me, saying they really feel it's for them. I think City Hall has done amazing by by doing this by acknowledging this but and i've said it before and i'm saying it again pj it really is a lot of it's down to you because you've given me and the center and other voluntary groups so much airtime you really have and you've really kept the topic going and the conversation going and that's made a massive difference to people you're very kind to to say that mary and and uh, you've always been available to us on the show to talk either briefly or in depth on any subject we wanted you to talk about Corks 96 FM